Come on, everybody. How's everybody doing tonight? Welcome to Fuse, every campus, all across the state, everybody. Happy Wednesday. I hope everybody's doing great. My name is Caleb. Hey, I just want to do something right here at the very top. I want to welcome everybody who's new to Fuse. Can we put our hands together to welcome everybody if you're new with us? We love you. We're glad you're a part of the family. We want you to jump in with us. The other thing I want everybody to know about, we mentioned this briefly here in Anderson tonight, for every campus, gauntlet signups are now open. They are live on Sunday. Between Sunday and now, we have hundreds of people already signed up, which is awesome. Just to encourage you again, if you need to be saving some money, raising some money, getting a job, go ahead and lining up some summer work. Let's take some personal responsibility for this. Let's make it happen. Go ahead and tell your boss at McDonald's you need a 50-cent raise per hour because I'm trying to go to the gauntlet. I need to save some money. All right. Hey, right here before we jump in, I want you to do something. Everybody can participate. Okay, let's do it. This will be easy. If you're an introvert, this will be, be a nice way for you to be social. If you're an extrovert, go ahead and dial it back a little bit. Don't make anybody feel weird here. Pick one person sitting close to you and look them in the eyes. All right, they say the eyes are a win- the window to the soul. Maybe the guy in the notebook said that. I don't know. But point is, look at one person in the eyes, just one person, and I want you to tell them two things, okay? First, I want you to tell them you're awesome. And then tell them this, God loves you a ton. I love it. Okay, you just prophesied over somebody. Let them know God loves them. Look at this spiritual gift. Hey, get a Bible. If you don't have a Bible in your hand, go ahead and get one on your phone. Go ahead and download the Bible app. Go ahead and get your mind around the reality that you need the Bible in your life. We are going to be reading a bunch of Bible tonight. Say amen. Amen. The reason we're going to be reading a bunch of Bible tonight and over the next few weeks is because of this right here. God created you to live big. God created a life When he thought about making you, he thought about the life you were going to live, and it's a big life. And you can't live a big life unless you have a big faith. You can't have a big faith unless you have a big understanding of what God has done for you and what God has done for me in Christ. And the way to know that is to get in our Bible. So we're going to get in it. We just finished a series talking about the relationship that we have with God. There's a lot of things we covered. There's a lot of big words. If I tried to go over it now and take too much time, go back and watch online. We talked about how God's relationship with you. It's based on a And a covenant is a relationship where two people bind themselves to each other. And the reason we started our year off talking about that is because too many of us in here have the wrong idea about what our relationship with God is. And so if you have a bad week or you have a bad day at school or you have a bad weekend or you have a bad spring break or you have a bad prom night, what ends up happening is you end up getting discouraged and walking away from God because you think God walked away from you. And he didn't. And Jesus came to prove that God's love for you is final, that it's powerful, and the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you to empower you to walk with God. You were made to experience life with God. Say amen. Amen. So what we're going to do now for the next four weeks is we're going to jump into the book of Exodus, and we are going to read about a story that may seem old and ancient to you. But the reason this story is so significant is because this story mirrors exactly the spiritual journey that you and I are on. And then, just a little foretaste of what's to come after this series, we're doing a series on the wilderness where we're talking about freedom. And I'm going to talk, and we are going to talk and teach you some things that are true for you that Jesus Christ purchased for you on the cross that you're not going to believe. You were made to live free. You're not free. You will get there. Christ has made us free. We're going to go on this journey together. Okay, are you ready? All right, let me catch you up to speed on where we're going tonight as we jump into the first week of our Exodus series. 
God made promises to a guy named Abraham. Do you remember the Abraham covenant where he gave him all these things? They cut the animals in half, etc. And part of God's promise to Abraham was, I'm going to make you the father of many people. I'm going to bless you tremendously. I'm going to give you a huge, basically, offspring. But this offspring of yours is going to be, they're going to be slaves. They're going to be sojourners, is what the Bible says, which means wanderers in a land, in a foreign land, for 400 years. We're going to pick the story up in Exodus, right in the middle of that portion of God's promise to Abraham. Abraham has a son named Isaac, who has a son named Jacob, who has a son named Joseph, who basically all of his brothers end up in Egypt trying to get uh, grain. There's a famine. So all of Abraham's offspring, just like God promised, find themselves in Egypt underneath a different king named Pharaoh, who's a bad guy, because Egypt basically has an abundance, has a plethora of grain. So the surrounding countries of the world at this time are coming to Egypt to buy and purchase grain. And they're bartering. They're saying, if you'll give us grain, we'll give you blank. Or we'll give you ourselves. We'll give you our land. We'll give you our cattle. We'll give you whatever. Because if we don't have this grain, we can't go back and live. And so that's kind of where we pick up the story. If you have a Bible, turn it to the book of Exodus, chapter 1, verse 8. If you're ready to read a good bit of Bible tonight, say, I'm ready. All right, I'm going to hold you to it. Now, chapter 1, verse 8. There arose a new king over Egypt, a new pharaoh, who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel, Abraham's descendants, they're too many and they're too mighty for us. So come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them, to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, the more they spread abroad. The Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves, made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick, in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, Pharaoh says to the midwives, by the way, a midwife is someone who helps a woman give birth. They're there to help take care of some things. Okay, so that's what, so this is somebody who's helping the Hebrew women, which are the women of Israel, which are Abraham's descendants, the women of Israel give birth. So the Pharaoh says to the women that are helping the Hebrew people be born, he says this, one of whom was named um, Shifra and the other Puah. When you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it's a son, kill him. Pharaoh says, Hebrew women, if you see a Hebrew boy being born, if he comes out and it's a boy, kill him. If it's a daughter, let her live. But the midwives feared God, and they did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them. But they let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this? Why would you let the male children live? They lie to Pharaoh and they say, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. They're vigorous. They give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt with the midwives. He dealt well with them. The people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all of his people, not just the midwives, every son born to the Hebrews throw into the Nile River. But every daughter let them live. Here's why. If you get rid of the men, eventually the men and the women cannot 
reproduce, they cannot procreate, and so he's trying to, this is what's called genocide. He's trying to get rid of the Hebrew people by killing the men and just having the women around. That's horrible, right? Say yes. It's horrible. This is, this is going to eventually lead to what we're talking about in a few weeks. This is eventually going to lead to God moving miraculously on behalf of the Israelite people to get them out of slavery in Egypt. But you need to understand, as we develop this, here's the feelings that I want you to have. God is getting angry. God's people are enslaved. And Pharaoh is getting harder and harder and harder in his heart toward God. Okay, those are the things I want you to feel. Pharaoh is bad. His heart is getting hard toward God. And as it gets harder, the things that he does to God's people get worse and worse and worse. Beginning with, let's kill all the baby boys. God's people feel trapped, enslaved. They feel like they're helpless. They feel like they can't do anything. Meanwhile, you have God over here, and you can see God, his anger rising, God ready to act on behalf of his people. That's the progression I want you to see here. Turn over to chapter 2. Let's pick it up in chapter, in verse 23, and let's read a couple of verses here. Here's what it says. During those many days, the king of Egypt died. A new pharaoh gets raised in his place, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, and they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. God heard their groaning, and God remembered his what? God remembered his what? With Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God remembered that he had bound himself to Abraham's people through some promises that he had to come through on. So now his people are enslaved, they're crying out, they're going, God, you have to help us, you have to free us, you have to deliver us. And it says that God remembers hundreds of years ago when he made a promise to Abraham, and so God starts putting into motion his solution for his people's slavery problem. With Isaac and with Jacob, God saw the people of Israel and God knew. Side note here, whatever's happening in your life that's really concerning you, that you pray about all the time, that you're really worried about, that you maybe haven't even told anybody about, God knows. You think there's something in your life that God doesn't know about. I'm here to tell you the truth is God knows every little thing in every person's life. And if you've been wondering what God's going to do, if you've been praying about something, if you've been concerned about something, if you've been worried about something, I want you to know tonight, God knows. These people are crying out needing God to do something, and he knows. He hears their cry. Anytime you pray, God hears. Okay, turn over to chapter 3. Let's pick up the story. This is God's solution. This is what God puts in place here. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses, pause. If you watched the intro video, Moses is a Hebrew baby boy. Moses' mother uh, raises him and weans him basically to the point where he's kind of big enough and, and strong enough to survive a little bit. And then she puts him in a basket, and she pushes him down the river, right? And so he ends up floating up to Pharaoh's daughter who raises him. So he ends up being raised in Pharaoh's house. So the irony here is you have a Hebrew boy that should have been murdered. He ends up being raised inside of Pharaoh's home. He's very close to Pharaoh. He's close to the king. He's close to the people. He's kind of in this weird balance of, I'm a Hebrew, but my people are slaves, I'm raised by Egyptians, and I live in the castle. I live in the palace, but I'm a Hebrew, right? Do you see what's going on here? So what happens is one day Moses is standing out, and he sees one of his brothers, one of his Hebrew people being mistreated, and he can't take it. He can't stand it. So he goes up, and he gets this Egyptian. He grabs him. He kills him, and he buries him in the sand. 
He, he just he freaks out in a moment of rage. He can't stand that his people are slaves. He can't stand that his people are being mistreated. He kills this Egyptian and he buries him. And basically he tells his, he, he didn't think anybody sees it, but he finds out that people saw it. He gets scared that somebody's going to find out that Moses is a murderer and Moses is kind of this weird in between both worlds. And so he flees out to the wilderness to a place called Midian where he becomes a shepherd, he meets his future father-in-law, he meets his future wife. Okay, so, so Moses kind of takes this season and he goes out into the wilderness a little bit. And he thinks it's just random, but God brought him out there to get him ready to go back and lead everybody out of slavery. Does everybody see what's happening here? Nod your head or say yes, say something. Help me here. Okay, chapter 3, here we go. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, but it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why is this bush not burned up? All right. Why is this bush on fire, but it's still there? Have you ever burnt like an old Christmas tree? Have you ever, anybody ever done this? Raise your hand if you've ever burnt an old Christmas tree. Okay, if you get a real Christmas tree, maybe this is bad advice, I shouldn't tell you this. If you get a live Christmas tree and you let it dry out for a couple of months and you light it on fire, it becomes a torch. This thing is awesome. So get your parents and maybe the firemen and then do that safely in a place where nothing else is going to catch on fire. But maybe experiment with this. Maybe if you're a science teacher watching this, that would be a cool experiment. Okay, it's a torch. So Moses sees this bush. It's on fire, but it's not burning up. Here we go. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, he hears God call to him out of the bush and say, Moses, Moses. And he says, here I am. Right? That's what you would, that's, that's how it's kind of going on. Then he says, Moses, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. And he said, I'm the God of your father. I'm the God of who? Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. And I'm the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. We're going to keep going in a second, but just a side note. One of the best, healthiest, most incredible things that you and I have access to is understanding what God's face is like toward us. Because God, because of Jesus, looks at you and he's happy and he's smiling and he's satisfied and he's pleased. But this was before Jesus and there's this idea that God is so holy and Moses is so not that he's literally afraid to look at God. This is kind of the idea of worship. It's like I'm coming in here and I'm excited, I'm going to sing, I'm going to praise, but also, whoa, okay? So he's afraid to look at God. And then the Lord said, I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. I've seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses says to God, me? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, I'll be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent. And then he says this, when you've brought the people out of Egypt, serve God on this mountain. Now I want to pause here. At the end of this little portion of scripture, I want to tell you this. You, yes you, were made by God to experience God. 
Too often, we think we were created to know God. You were created to know God. You were created to know about God. But primarily, you were made to experience God. Your body, your spirit, your heart, your mind, your soul, your human body was created to be in communion with God. God says, Moses, when you get these people out of slavery, I want you to bring them back here and serve me on this mountain. I created them for me. God created you for him. You will be dissatisfied. You will be lonely. You will be frustrated. You will be worried. You will be insecure. You will be everything you're afraid that you'll be until you understand God made you for himself. You're not made for your boyfriend. You're not made for your girlfriend. You're not made for a job. You're not made for a college. You're not made for your parents. You're not made for any of those. You were created for God by God. Your purpose is found in him. Your peace is found in him. Your future is in what he says. Everything about your life is going to unfold based on whether or not you understand that God made you, he bought you, he has plans for you. Otherwise, you'll ruin your life trying to find out why you were made. You will. So, side note, get out of, when you get out of slavery, all right, the point is go to the mountain and serve God. That's why you were made, all right? So we're going to talk about this for the next couple of weeks. All right. Now, let me show you this. This journey that these people went on is exactly the journey that you and I are on. And I'm going to show you a couple of things here, and this will be the part where we take notes, and then we're going to pray, and we're going to sing a little bit more. But I want to let you know what we're doing for the next couple of weeks. This first week of this, I'm kind of setting the lens for this series. Next week, I, this is not an exaggeration, next week we are doing something and teaching something, but if you know the story, we're teaching about the plagues next week, and we're doing something you will never, ever, ever forget for as long as you live. Cannot miss next week and hear about what God did to get his people out from under the rule of Pharaoh. Week three, when everybody comes back, we're all taking communion together. And you'll understand why. We're celebrating the Passover. We're going to take communion together. You're going to eat bread. You're going to drink juice. You are going to understand this for the first time. It's going to be amazing. We're not giving you wine. Don't even think about it, some of you silly people. All right? Week four, when you come, we're going to talk about when God parted the Red Sea and got everybody out. We're going to baptize some of your friends that are ready to go public. It's going to be amazing. This series, you're going to see, mirrors the salvation journey that so many of us are on. The work of God in your life begins with the mighty work of salvation. It's not the end, it's the beginning. Salvation is just the start of what God wants to do in your life. If you're a Christian in here, God has started your journey. If you're not a Christian in here, you raising your hand and praying a prayer to give your life to Christ is not the end of your journey. It's where your journey begins. Until then, you are floating aimlessly about the cosmos doing nothing with your existence. That's my push for you getting saved tonight, if you're not. All right, everybody feel encouraged? All right. Let's take a couple of notes here. I'm going to make, I'm going to make a couple of points and draw a couple of conclusions, and we're going to talk about these. Point number one, write this down. God's people were slaves in Egypt to Pharaoh. We just read this in the story. You should know this. How does this apply to me? Well, here's what the Bible says. God's people were slaves in Egypt to Pharaoh. I was born a slave on earth to the devil. Write that down and then look at those words. I was born a slave on earth to the devil. And so were you. God's people were slaves in Egypt to Pharaoh. You were born a slave on earth to the devil. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, it says this. You, meaning you, were dead in the trespasses and sins that you once walked. Following the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Which means this. Naturally, every single day, when you're born, 
Because you're born from the lineage of Adam and Eve, until you are born again, you are born doing with your life what the devil wants you to do with your life. What? Why did you ask me to come tonight, bro? I thought you said this would be fun. This guy just told me the devil runs my life. No, seriously, this is why this is such a big deal. And the reason we get into the Bible and the reason we see it is because likely at 14, 15, 16 years old, it's very likely that today, your day was just like every other Wednesday you've ever experienced. Most other Wednesdays. It's cold, it's kind of rainy, or it's super cold, it's super rainy if you're up here in the upstate. And you kind of went to school, you kind of cared, you kind of didn't. You ate some lunch that you kind of liked, but you kind of didn't. You wish you would have had something else. You were probably hungry by like 9 a.m. You're sitting in first period, already snacking on some of your lunch, likely. You get out of school, you hang out, you do your homework, or you don't, or you forgot you had homework, or you lost your book bag, or you're so disorganized you forgot what school you go to, and you got on the wrong bus. You ended up in somewhere you're not even supposed to be tonight. You ate a snack again when you got home from school, or you stopped at the gas station. Literally, you had a three-minute drive from your house to or from school to your house, and you were so hungry you had to stop at cookout or something. Like you just so as a teenager, you just eat all the time, right? I get that. Sometimes it slows down, and sometimes you're almost 30 and you just eat all the time still. But another point. You just did what you do on Wednesdays. You just kind of went through the day, you just kind of did your thing. And I would ask you, I would wonder. How much of your time today was spent focused on, leaning in, giving credit and honor and glory to God who created you? How much of your dedicated Wednesday space today was spent worshiping, glorifying, and building the kingdom of God? I would say if we're being honest, probably very little. Why? Because the enemy had a plan for your Wednesday. When you got out of bed and your feet hit the ground this morning, the enemy said, all right, glad you're up today. Let's get after it. That's why some of you spent all day worried. You didn't have an ounce of peace in your whole Wednesday. That's why some of you spent all day today angry and bitter at somebody that you should have forgiven months ago. That's why somebody, some of you today made a mistake a couple of months ago. Maybe you and your boyfriend, maybe you and your girlfriend did something you knew you shouldn't have done, and you haven't been able to stop feeling regret and shame every day. It makes you depressed. It makes you lonely. It keeps you away from your friends. It makes you lie to people because every day when your feet hit the ground, the devil has a plan for how he wants to spend your time until you go to sleep. You go to sleep and he doesn't and he wakes up ready for you to get back up the next day so he can ruin your whole day all over again. That's why Jesus Christ came while you were still a sinner, died for you, raised from the grave, went back up to heaven, sent the Holy Spirit and said, I got a plan for your Wednesday too and it's much better. If you'll opt into it, It'll change the world. Come on, somebody. You were born a slave, but God made sure that his people, meaning you, couldn't stay a slave. Point number two, I want you to write this down. Moses was anointed to lead God's people out of Egypt. Moses was anointed, which means chosen, which means set apart, which means given a special thing for a special task. Moses was anointed by God to lead his people out of Egypt. This is true for you. Jesus was sent by God to lead me and you out of hell. You were born with your feet destined toward hell. And Jesus came and showed you the way out. Moses goes out in the wilderness and gets this word from God who's burning this bush up without burning it up. And he says, Moses, I'm about to send you back to Pharaoh. Moses is old. Moses got a stutter. Moses is a weird guy. Moses is just this, this shepherd out here in the wilderness. God says, I'm about to send you to Pharaoh, and you're going to crush him, and you're going to leave my people out. Jesus comes from God as God to lead us out. 
So much of our understanding of salvation, so much of what we've been taught is that Jesus came to get us out of hell. Jesus came to lead us out of hell. He didn't snatch us or save us. He made a way for us. And then he says, all right, now get to walking. You're not in chains anymore. You're not headed toward hell anymore. Now get on out of Egypt. But at some point, you got to do the walking. You hear me? Jesus led the way, but he didn't replace your feet with roller skates. They wouldn't have worked in the desert anyway. That was a bad, you know, illustration. Point is, you got to walk. Jesus came to lead you out of hell, but that means you got to make active, conscious decisions and patterns in your life that lead you away from the life Jesus came to die to save you from. That's what we're going to talk about in this series. We're going to talk about how God has moved miraculously on your behalf so you can move. God has worked all of the miracles and done all of the work and prepared all of the way for you and done everything except your part, which is get your butt up out of Egypt and walk out. All right, here we go. Point number three. Y'all are going to believe me by the end of this series, I promise. All right, point number three. Let's go here. Pharaoh was defeated and God's people were rescued. And you'll hear how Pharaoh was defeated and God's people were rescued. Now, I want to get excited here. Can I preach for a minute here? Satan was defeated and Jesus rescued me. So many of us, some of us have this idea in your head that what's happening in the cosmos, what's happening in the world is God versus Satan. That's a lie. God wiped out Satan in a second. It literally took just a decision and Satan was done. God is not against or versus Satan. Satan doesn't even have a chance against God. It's not like that, okay? God has defeated Satan and he's done. Hell is where Satan and his demons will be forever. And his job is to get as many of us to come join him there in misery forever. This is heavy. He seems mad. I'm not. I love the Bible. It's the most important thing that exists in the world. It is the most precious book, and it makes it very clear to us. God has defeated the enemy, which means this. Some of you guys need to take the power that God has given you. I walk around all day, every day, and I watch people getting beat by an enemy that has already been beaten for them. You have amazing power over the devil in your life because he's already been beaten. God has made a way not just to get rid of your sin, right? All we talk about is sin, 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 sin. I make bad decisions. I feel bad for it. And then I tell God I'm sorry. And then I go back. I do the next thing the next day. You want to know why you stay in that cycle, in that just rhythm of I do something stupid, and then I tell God I'm sorry, then I come to Fuse and feel bad, and then I quit going to Fuse group for a couple months because everybody found out I wasn't really living right. Then I go to Gauntlet, and I get saved all over again. I come back, and I get ready to go, and then by spring, I'm out all over. You know why you stay in that cycle? Because the devil has you convinced that he has power over you, and he doesn't. You have a free mind. Some of you guys think that you can't stop thinking thoughts about girls or thinking thoughts about certain things. Hey, I'm here to break the news to you. You absolutely, 100% are free in Christ to think thoughts that please God. Some of you females in here are so insecure because you think God made a mistake. And it's because the devil wants you to hate yourself because you'll let everybody else hate you too. You are free to love who God made you to be. You are free in Christ. You are free to get your behind out of Egypt and walk out because Pharaoh lost. The devil has no power over you. And at 14 years old, if you understand that, then at 30 years old, you will be a nightmare to the devil. If you're sitting here right now and you can't, it's like you, you don't care about this and this is doing nothing for you. Why do you think that is? 
You think God wanted you to come to Fuse tonight and not hear this? So he's just letting you kind of sleep through this? You think God's the one who's got your phone out distracting you so you're not paying attention to this message? No. Spiritual warfare is real and the devil doesn't want you to hear the only news that you're going to hear today that's going to matter. So guess what? Tell him to kiss your behind and get your tail up and walk out of Egypt and let's become a people that live the kind of lives that Jesus came to give us. I hate the devil. I hate him. Do you hate him? You know who else hates him? God hates him. God doesn't hate God's love. Yeah, God loves you. He hates the devil. He hates him. Anytime you feel discouraged, you have a bad thought, you do something that drags you off into a season of running away from God, you have a doubt, a fear, an insecurity that causes you to walk away, and you're influenced by a negative voice, God hates it. Why? Because God has a plan for you that is huge. It's huge. God has a life for you that's huge, but you won't get it unless you become huge. you got to have a faith that's huge. You gotta have a vision for your future that's huge, but you won't if you still like being a slave. And you're not. Egypt wasn't made for you. If you can only understand this a little bit, I need you to love God a little bit because of it. However much you can get this, I need you to get this into your heart as deep as you can sink it. That God has created you for so much. You can't right now dream or envision how massively God wants to bless and change and use you. But you have to become the kind of person that's ready to live a life as big as God wants it to be. And you won't if you keep listening to an enemy who's already been beat. So let's pray and let's respond to God tonight. Here's what we're going to do. Every campus, everybody is here tonight, and you've either been here forever or you are new and you're trying to figure out what's going on or you've been here for a little while and you're trying to get comfortable in what's happening. Maybe you're a leader and you're here. Every single week, we're going to preach a message where you're going to hear the Bible, and then we're going to have a chance to respond. And response means some different things. Here's a couple of options for you I'm going to give everybody tonight. We're going to have a couple of different options to respond. Number one, if you're not a Christian, if there's never been a time in your life where you have said with your mouth, I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and I want to give control of my life over to him, every Wednesday night you're going to have a chance to give your life to Jesus. Number two, if you need prayer for literally anything in your life, you're going through a tough time, you're struggling a little bit in your faith, you're sick and you want your body healed, something's happening in your life and you need some prayer, you need some encouragement, you're going to get an opportunity to get prayed for. You're lonely and you need some friends, you're going to have an opportunity to get in a fuse group. And then after all of those opportunities are given, all of us are going to open our mouths and we're going to sing and worship God. But I came in here and I basically did what the devil wanted all day. I had a horrible day. Yeah, well, you know what? That's not today. That's right now. You can sing right now. God loves the way your voice sounds when you're praising him. You can do it right now. We're going to create space on every campus. If you need to get by yourself and you need to lay on your face and praise God or weep 
or you need to dance or you need to run laps around here because you're so thankful for what God has done for you. If you need to stand up with your hands raised the whole time and shout your praise to God, you do that. Let me tell you what we're not going to do for the next few minutes. We're not going to stand here and pretend like God's not real. We're not going to respond by being apathetic toward God who moved heaven and earth so we could be together. So your option is you can get prayer. You can give your life to Christ. You can pray for somebody else. If one of your friends is having a tough time and you know it, you can go get signed up for a fuse group. If that's not what you need to do, then your response is you lift your hands to God in praise. You lift your voice to God in praise. You sing a song to God, whether you know the one we're singing or not, and you make sure that before you get in a car and leave fuse tonight to go back to your home, that your body did what it was created to do, which is glorify and praise God. So every campus, everybody stand to your feet right now. Heads bowed, eyes closed, everybody, as we respond right now to the goodness of God. Holy Spirit, will you come now and have your way in this space? In this room here in Anderson and in every room across the state, Father, I ask that right now over these next few minutes that we would respond adequately to the goodness that you have given to us. So I want to offer right now, if there's anybody in here, you're not a Christian, you thought you were a Christian, you didn't want to be a Christian, but tonight you want to make a decision to give your life to Christ. Anybody at any campus all across the state, if that's you right now, I just want you to put your hand in the air. And as people respond to that part of this invitation, leaders, if there's somebody around you with their hand raised, we're not going to do this now. You take them out back to the care room or out into whatever space you have at your campus. Have a conversation with them. Teach them about giving their life to Jesus. Paint the picture of God's goodness over their life and help get them to the cross. Number two, if there's anybody in here tonight, you're sick, you're sad, you're discouraged, you're going through a tough time, and you need prayer. You just want somebody to pray for you. You want a leader to speak some life into you. You're having a tough time. I just want you to raise your hand. Every campus, anybody needs prayer, great. If that's you, if you need to go talk about some stuff, then go back and talk about some stuff. Otherwise, if somebody around you has their hand raised, whether you know them or not, put a hand on their shoulder and start praying for them right now. Don't let somebody raise their hand around you and not get prayer. If somebody has their hand raised, good. Put a hand on their shoulder and pray for them. I don't pray. You do tonight, and you do from here on out, because you're not made for Egypt. Let's go. If you need prayer, you just raise your hand. Great. If you need to get in a group, find somebody with a sticker that says they're a fuse leader and say, don't let me leave tonight until I get in a fuse group. If they're not a fuse group leader, pressure them into being a fuse group leader, your fuse group leader. Come on, let's, let's go. Let's pray. God, we love you. We bless you. We honor you. God, we are excited about this series in the next few weeks as we learn how to respond to the powerful move of salvation that you have made on our behalf. God, thank you for not asking us to come toward you. You came all the way toward us in Christ. You've made it abundantly clear and available to us. The work is finished. We belong to you. We lift our song to you now to glorify you, Jesus. We love you in God's name we pray. Everybody said together, amen. Come on.